so I'm going to start this off with a story. There was this, uh, this story that I heard on YouTube by Osho. And although I, I can't find it anymore, I do think it's a valuable story to share. There was a Chinese philosopher named, uh, he called it Shankazu, but I believe the correct pronunciation is Swangzi. It's Z-H-U. A N G Z I, I believe. Um, and supposedly he was a very brilliant Chinese philosopher who, uh, I mean, I guess you could sort of consider that he had a lot of the same ideals as Osho, which is something like uh, this very deep philosophy of love encapsulated in this strange humorous um, way of talking about things anyways when I'm gonna say Shankazu that's the pronunciation I'm gonna use because that's that's how I heard it by uh, by Osho one day Osho woke up from a dream laughing and uh, his disciples came over and they're like, you know, what's, what's wrong? And he says, last night I had a dream and uh, they're like, okay. And he's like, uh, I have come across a great problem. And they were pretty shocked at this, you know, thrown aback because he's always the one solving their problems. You know, what might this great problem be? And he says, Last night I had a dream that I was a butterfly. And then one of the guys cuts him off and he says, Okay, like you were you were sleeping, you know, dick. And you, now you're awake. Why are you making such a fuss about it? And he says, I'm not making a fuss. That's why I'm laughing. The problem is, Last night I had a dream that I was a butterfly. Am I Shankazu, who has woken up from being a butterfly? Or am I the butterfly who is now asleep and is now dreaming she is Shankazu? And I really like this story. I, I try to come at most of my ideas, especially a lot of my intellectual arguments or conversations, from this fundamental axiom, which is there's a lot more that we don't know than we do. And it's hard to really distinguish what might what one might call the metaphorical landscape from what we uh, traditionally call the material playground. And I, I, I know that sounds like a really vague, wishy-washy way of, of talking about a, a deeper idea. But I'm going to forego that because that's not the point of this conversation. I want to ask what you know about the id. Because I, uh, I don't know very much about it. Now, I, 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 do, I did read something on Wiki that the id is what Carl Jung referred to as the shadow. And what the shadow is, is it's something like 
a myriad of all the things you don't accept about yourself. It's an amalgam of all the qualities of being that you've repressed or fragmented within your psyche slash soul. And I've heard that the shadow goes all the way to hell. And that's a really interesting um, notion. Often what is, in, what is encapsulated by the shadow is violence and promiscuity, sexual uh, violence, certain urges, certain disgusts, and supposedly the way to unveil the shadow is to essentially go in the fucking muck. Is to mug it out with your deepest self. With all the qualities that make you really, really, really dreadfully uncomfortable. To come to terms with the atrocious aspects of your personality. And to be whole. To be whole. And I'm reminded of this quote by Carl Jung, which was something like, I'd rather be whole than good. This is important. To be, because to be whole means to be present. It also means, to a large extent, to have presence. To be able to impede power and impress assertive will and uh, I'm, you know actually I'm reminded of something by that Jordan Peterson would say and I would also say that Jordan Peterson was something like my introduction to Carl Jung um, and it's not as if I hadn't heard of Carl Jung but I hadn't taken his work as as seriously as I do now you know my existentially oriented approach has taken on a new light since realizing that there have been people in our historical records so fucking brilliant it would it would it would break you to pieces people who challenged their psychological structure people who took themselves apart to encompass themselves into a whole that worked anyways again that's not the point I'm reminded of something that Jordan Peterson would uh, he's a clinical psychologist and I'm really a real big fan of his lectures he talks a lot about what's called the domain of chaos and order and the domain of chaos and order can be represented synonymously with what you think about as the yin and the yang symbol so you have a little bit of black inside of the white and a little bit of white and the black and you know vice versa and the domain of order as far as your uh, let's say in 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 terms of your experience the domain of order is when you've known your wife for six years the domain of chaos is the place you're in when she sleeps with someone and all of a sudden you're upside down and backwards because 
You thought you knew her, but apparently you didn't because you were wrong. Because the person you had mapped out in your head, well, that was the last thing that they would do. But they did it. And so now you're left to confront the, this limbo. You're, you're, you're left to come to terms with the fact that you were wrong in a really deep, deep, significant way. You know, it's what how you, I've often, I've heard the question, how do I know? What's the domain of chaos look like? And the domain of chaos looks like what's when someone you love betrays you. And it's this weird limbo place. And you know what the fuck I'm talking about. Feels like there's like you're upside down and there's no way forward. And even if, if there was God, God, forward doesn't even exist. Upwards, backwards, sideways, they're all the same. It all feels the same. And you don't know... Well, that's the domain of chaos. And one of the things that Jordan Peterson tries to teach in his lectures, particularly to his university students, he taught at Harvard for I don't know how many years, but um, one of the things that he tries to teach is to read history as the perpetrator rather than the victim. Because you could be the perpetrator. And statistically speaking, you either were the perpetrator or you were the bystander. Like, let's say in Nazi Germany. You know, a lot of people like to think that they would be the victim. You know, that that, that they would be the ones being gassed inside of the chambers. That's not necessarily true, is it? Statistically speaking. You know, even more so, they would like to think that when the Nazis came knocking on on, the, on, the, on, your, on your door, on their door, that they would be the one to say, no, we're not doing this. But statistically speaking, that's not what the chances are extremely low that you would be that person. Because we are those same people. We're those same amalgam of population. And almost everyone just went along and let something like this happen. Because it didn't happen in a day. It happened in steps. Really gradual steps. And and we, we, we managed to abscond the way that we talked about it. And so in such a way that although it wasn't invisible, it was... It was... Arguably... Okay natural normal there's one more word that starts with a C that I'm looking for I wrote it earlier I wrote it for something else not for this but I, I'm reminded of this word and I, I would like to, to use it although it probably isn't very significant for you as a listener Fuck it, I can't find it. Um, so he tries to he tries to impart this truth on his university students because, well, the way I think about it is, it's one of the ways to start to realize the integration of the shadow. Because the shadow is 
like we said, an amalgam of all the qualities that you repress in yourself. It's the Pandora's box at the edge of your soul. It's all the things that you don't like about you. And often it's displayed in disgust, uh, hostility. Uh, well, I, I, I can't think. I'm, I'm trying to be as accurate as I can with my words. So you're just going to have to hold on to those few for now. If you hear a little bit of background noise, um, this is a really good mic. So it's kind of it's kind of capturing uh, my grandfather in the next room. He's watching Supernatural. So uh, for those of you who don't mind, um, continue listening. So I started writing and I was trying to understand, you know, what do I know about the id? Besides that, one of the ways that it manifests itself is by projecting itself onto other people. You know, often you feel a little bit of disgust for somebody. Or you feel a little bit of... A little bit of betrayal slash frustration with someone. And often that's because you haven't integrated those aspects in yourself to understand that you could do those things. Because the reason why, let's say, you're so disgusted or abhorred by their behavior is because you don't think you're capable of that. Those qualities don't seem to represent you. But you're wrong. Because you are capable of violence. You are capable of murder. There's a story that I really want to read about Raskolnikov, which was, you know, he was something like... like I believe it was Dobnitsky who uh, who wrote this. Perhaps it was the Gulag Archipelago, but I please don't quote me on this because I uh, I could be I could be severely wrong. But he killed someone who was, I mean, people would have voted to kill this bitch, right? Like, like she 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 had like a slave for a daughter, and it was like people would have voted to kill her. She was terrible. She was the the most stereotypically terrible human being you could fathom in your head and what what the writer did was he put this character together and he got away with murder but what happened was it it fragmented him in a way that he didn't expect I don't know how this was tied to the original point but I was originally asking you know what I know of the id and we somehow got into the Pandora, uh, into, into saying that it's something like the Pandora's box at the edge of your soul. It's all the negative things that you're not willing to accept about yourself. And it also meant, tends to manifest itself as projections onto other people. And I'm reminded, if I haven't already mentioned this quote, I'm reminded of something that Jung would say about using the integration of the shadow to become a whole person. And then part of you may be like, yo, fuck that. I don't want those dark qualities to be embodied in everything that I do. It's like, well, maybe you do. And one reason why is because you need to be able to be capable of some serious atrocities to be able to say no and actually mean it. Right? Because what no means, coming from the words of Jordan Peterson, 
is it can mean one of two things. Either one, no, there is nothing you can do to make me do what you want. I'm not doing that. You're crawl. You're you're. You're, it's essentially you putting you're putting forward a line and you're saying that you're not going to cross this line and there's nothing you can do to make me and to have that value of atrociousness within you and embodied then you can say no and mean it and that doesn't mean you say no uh in in a hostile way you know it has nothing to do with your tone per se it has to do with this, these subtle intimations that embodying the darkest aspects of your personality radiate afterwards. The second thing that no means is I'm willing to play at higher stakes than you. No. 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 And if you can say no and mean it, now you have presence. And if you have presence, then you have power and if you actually have power chances are you won't need to use it that's what's interesting you know it's something that is also taught in martial arts you know chances are that the better you are in martial arts you know martial arts doesn't teach you how to be violent it actually teaches you to some weird extent how to be peaceful how to be whole how to integrate the monster How to in, how to integrate the monster in you, and you are a monster. You're you're a fucking monster and a fixer upper if you ever knew one. One practical approach to uh, to developing your shadow is uh, is is what's called radical honesty. Um, I think. Carl Jung managed to do this with what he called autonomic writing, which was just writing what you fucking thought and just doing it and just letting whatever manifests itself manifest itself. And you might think that that's a trivial exercise, but I'd like to remind you that there's very little, actually, there's no difference between writing and thinking. Writing is an extension of thought. And if you can learn how to map your thoughts on paper, you're going to see huge changes in how you think you have a more efficient flow of thought rather than this weird chopped up uh, myriad of mental diarrhea that that just doesn't service you or anyone else Carl Jung would uh would we'll say that the practical approach, I mean, um, a, a good practical approach is uh, developing through radical, developing your shadow through radical honesty. And I think that is, I think that is because often we have these weird, um, we have this weird fragmentation between what we consciously are used to saying and what we unconsciously know to be the case, right? There are these, and I don't want to call them lies, but they are. There are these white lies inside of all of your stories that you have a tendency to tell over and over again. And you've been telling them for years, so they actually feel true. And you can actually say them with a straight face without without any intimations of it being a lie. 
but there is a, a moment where you can pause, for instance, and actually answer the answer as honest as honestly as you can manage. And often it might even start with a weird feeling of confusion and I don't know. It's a really muggy thing to integrate the shadow because the shadow is the most, I mean, I, I said, there's a reason why you're oppressing these, these aspects of your, of your being because they're atrocious. And sometimes they're not always atrocious, like in the case of violence or aggression, although uh, violence and aggression can become atrocious, they're a lot more dangerous if you're naive. And the only way to nip your, na your naivety in the ass is to give it something to stand on, to give it an actual purpose. And you can tell when someone has a well-integrated monster because their faces harden. You know, that's also something I've heard from Jordan Peterson. I think another reason why radical honesty works is because one good axiom of thought is let me just talk to someone and see what happens. Just tell the truth and see what happens and accept the consequences because there are going to be consequences. But I think the reason why that is, and I, you know, I was writing about this earlier. It, it, it was about something else. I, I texted a friend of mine um, because he was saying something about speech and speaking and fluency and whatever. Um, and I wrote this initially for something else. But I think it... Uh, it corresponds to what we're talking about. And uh, I'm not going to take too much more of your time. You're probably, I don't, I don't know what you're doing. This is a podcast, so you're free to like, uh, to multitask and to be washing dishes right now. If you can manage that and listen to my, uh, to my, um, perhaps fragmented, abstracted, uh, rants. Anyways, I, I, I'm just going to go by my memory. I can't find the page. So. <clears throat> so I was, what I texted him was something like uh, honest speech and the importance of it. As a, as, an, as a good axiom because in a lot of my conversations what I do and even what I'm doing right now as I'm talking into this microphone I'm just saying stuff and seeing what happens you know I don't know what thought is going to follow this I don't know how it's going to be structured I don't know if I'm going to sound like an absolute madman I don't know if I'm going to be able to articulate myself in any appropriate manner. I, you know, there are a bunch of insecurities that follow honest speech, but there's also a weird grounding effect that comes with it too. And what I find is one reason why you would want to value honest speech is because One reason why you would want to value honest speech and see what happens is because 
because you need something to stand on. And it defeats the purpose of seeing what happens if you're sabotaging what happens. I'm gonna, I, I, I have my friends, uh, I'm just gonna open up the text message. Hopefully this doesn't interfere with the podcast. Right, okay, so here, here it is. I usually start with the intention to talk and see what happens. This method is grounded in the axiom of honest speech. And this came about because I was asking myself, well, what gives me the right to speak? And then I thought, well, I discern what's right to say. I choose the right. I choose what's right to say, and then I say it. And I could be wrong, but you don't get to not make a sacrifice. You get to choose your sacrifice. And so I started to think what that's grounded in. And as it turns out, it's grounded in what is earnestly called honest speech. And then I started to think, why? And then it's like, well, why the hell would I even listen to myself if it's going to be untrue? It defeats the purpose of seeing what happens if what is happening is fucking unreliable. And that's the, that's the important part. What's the point of talking to see what happens if what's happening is unreliable? It's being it's being it's being built on shitty on shitty foundation. Something like that. Although I do feel like I like I uh I, I fell off the mark for a moment. And uh I also think that this podcast has gone on long enough, although I'm pleased with how I've articulated myself this far. Uh, the last tidbit of advice I might give if I haven't already given it is and if I had I'm super sorry just end this shit now uh, was writing like writing is a really important extension of thought and I, I do think that it's that if you can't practice writing in your practical life because like you'll get fired <laughs> one of the things that you can do is start to write and if you start to write and radically be as honest as you can manage you'll start to see a lot of benefits in the fragmentation of your psyche and you'll be able to put yourself together just by just by writing that autonomic writing just write just do it put pen on paper and write nonsense it doesn't matter what's going to happen is your psyche is going to start to map out something like a metaphorical landscape something like the metaphysical place that we use metaphors and that it's going to start to subconsciously understand the power of what's called archetypes archetypes is another really popular uh association has another really is, is another really popular association with young and a lot of Jungian ideas and what archetypes are is there's something like really important patterns of behavior that lie at the foundation of all of our experiences so there's the archetype of the hero, there's the archetype of the savior, there's the archetype of um, of the caregiver, of, you know, so on. And just the process of writing itself is going to teach you more about you. And that's going to be uncomfortable. And uh, that's exactly why I'm advocating it. Because that's what I want for you. I want it to suck a little bit because life sucks. It is suffering. And again, something that I've heard and perhaps something that I agree with is that's what all the ancient people have always been saying. That life is suffering. 
It isn't undo suffering, but life is suffering. And one axiom of belief, if you're going to carry your life in any way, is to, is to, is to try to impede any unnecessary suffering. Don't suffer any more stupidly than you have to, because that's pretty useful. And one of the ways that you do that is to at least get yourself in order, so that way you can start to get other shit in order, like your room or your family, your society. And I know that third one is a big step, and I sort of skipped a few, but you know, there, there, there's a direction, and uh, I just wanted you to know that. So, uh, if you're still with me, you know, 28 minutes in, 20, well, about to be 29 minutes in, you're nuts, and <laughs> it's uh, it's night for me. It's 9:06 p.m. For me here so that means it's my dinner time have a great night ciao